0: This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture.
1: On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia.
0: You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert.
1: Alongside me, Matt Au. Today we're chatting with Carly Rocker. Carly and her husband Dino own Spring Creek Produce in Tolga in Queensland's Tablelands. They produce bananas and mandarins and are also nominees for the 2020 Australian Farmer of the Year Award.
0: In this episode, you'll hear about how Carly and Dino broke tradition to future-proof their farm, how they found their niche and continue to explore new varieties, and how they've grown from producing 9,800 cartons of bananas in 2013 To a staggering 42,000 in 2019. Let's jump in. Thank you Carly for joining us. We're really excited to have you on the show today. To get us started, could you tell us a little bit about your background and the background of your farm as well?
2: So my background is I come from hospitality, So I actually worked in a pub and restaurant for a few years before I came onto the farm. So the farm that we are on at the moment has been in my husband's family for a long time. I think in the mid 1960s, my father-in-law bought this farm after he immigrated here from Italy, basically. He came over on one of the ships with his mum and his brothers. His father had already been in the country a couple of years he worked on the cane cutting crews, cutting cane by hand, him and his his father and his brothers and, and basically saved up enough money to buy this farm.
0: So then you met Dino and came onto the farm soon after. How did that happen?
2: I met Dino while I was working at the local pub and I came onto the farm in about 2009. So I left my job and started working on the farm with the family. So that's basically my background. I had no no interest or, or anything in farming until I met and married a farmer. So yeah, we were all working on the farm, his brother and his wife and his parents and myself and Dino. So basically it all went from there.
0: Yeah, wow. So when you came onto the farm in 09, what kind of operation was it back then?
2: So predominantly they were growing potatoes and peanuts previous to 2009. I think in around 2008 Dino's brother Tony, he decided to branch out into bananas. So he was the initial planter of bananas and that was basically done just to expand what they were doing because potatoes and peanuts were just going downhill and the markets were unstable and so the bananas were planted and then Yeah, 2009, I started working, so.
0: And how was that for you? That's a massive change from going from working at a pub to working on a farm and living on a farm.
2: It was a big change. I I grew up in the area, so it is a farming area. You know, I've got uncles that were farmers, but I never really had an interest in working on the land. And, and, you know, when you marry a farmer, you become the farmer's wife. (laughs) So, that entails everything to do with farming, whether it's helping fix tractors or getting out there and picking or maintaining the books, looking after the kids. You basically do it all. So it, it was a big change. I loved it though. It was something different to what I was not doing. So
0: so you could say you fell in love with Dino and fell in love with the farm.
2: Yes, basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so no, it's a good
1: lifestyle. And from there, Carly, there was an element of sort of breaking tradition a little bit and making some decisions to change what you did on the farm when yourself and Dino took it over?
2: Yeah. So we took over the farm. The decision was made in about 2009, 2010, that the farm could not sustain three families anymore. So basically there was... Dino's parents and his brother and his wife and Dino and myself and the farm really wasn't big enough to sustain us all so a really hard decision had to be made as to do they sell the farm or do one of the boys buy the farm. At that stage Dino's brother Tony had started his own business in the manufacturing of farm machinery so basically the conversation was had between Dino and myself as to do we want to take this on? Is this something that we want to do? And when I, took, when I think of my husband, Dino, his, his roots are quite deep in this soil. He, he didn't want to see anyone else own the farm. So the process started that he went to three banks. The first two said no and the last one said yes. I remember he came home one night and said, you wouldn't believe it, but somebody said yes and we're buying a farm and I went okay let's do it so our daughter was three months old at that stage we just had a little girl so the big move happened so obviously Dino's parents were living on the farm and we lived in town so there was a huge house swap we moved two people in one day so we moved them out of of the farmhouse and into our house and we moved into the farmhouse so Dino basically got to move back into the family where he grew up basically so wow. big change for my my in-laws as well because they'd lived here their whole lives basically so yeah it's a bit of a change but it, it's worked out yeah
1: from a like from an operational point of view did you change anything about what you were producing at that time
2: Uh, At that stage, we had about 22 acres of Cavendish bananas and about 15 acres of ladyfingers. So when we bought the farm, the farm wasn't geared up to run as a banana farm, basically. There wasn't a lot of capital, so we had to sort of inch our way slowly, slowly into bananas, and, and, and we did that for a while. And then in about 2011... Uh, Cyclone Yarsi came through so basically we had bananas in the stage where the region of Tully and Innisfail got wiped out so 2011-12 was a really good year for us and we sort of sat with what we had the 20 acres of calves and, and 15 acres of ladyfingers but 2012-13-14 were not good years after that. Whatever money we made during the cyclone slowly got dwindled away in the, in the next three years and we decided something needed to change because we were just losing money by the month and it was getting really hard and it was tough. It was really tough. We we couldn't, there was no money to do anything. There was no money to fix machinery. It was a really tough time for us. So, we sort of sat down one day and said, you know, something's got to give, we've got to fix this or we've got to get out. At that stage, we decided that we really needed to pull on the people that were around us and surround ourselves with good people that would help grow our business. So, we got onto an agent called Freshmax and they came to see us and and they said, look, they, they helped us, they helped us grow our business and grow our bananas and stuff like that and I remember having a conversation one day with one of them and he said, look, why don't you get rid of the Cavendish and focus on Ladyfingers and I said, look, is that really something that we should be doing because at that stage Ladyfingers weren't making us a lot of money, Cavendish weren't making us a lot of money and he said, look, there there is a market for it. So, in 2015, we made the decision to Get rid of the Cavendish and plant more ladyfingers. So that's really where it all started for us and where things started to to climb the hill. Yeah, that's basically where we sort of made that decision. It was a make or break decision. It was we had to do it full steam ahead or get out.
0: Wow. That's a lot to deal with, especially at the same time you've dealt with the cyclone that's gone through, and then you're having to make these decisions. Too. A yeah. Lot. Well,
2: financially, we didn't have a choice. It was, you know, we we only had another year up our sleeves of of the way we were going, and surrounding ourselves, like I said, with good people, good accountants, good bank managers, good agents, even family. You know, talking to family and asking them their opinion, and 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 getting all sorts of information from lots of people is basically what we did to to make the decision to grow our ladyfinger plantation and, and grow a premium product.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point around talking to family because you've obviously taken the family farm over and things have been done a certain way for a long time. Was the rest of the family open to the change and supportive of the change that you guys made at that time? Yes, I
2: think so, yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah, everyone sort of put their advice board, and then we just sort of took what we we thought was productive, I suppose, and um, worked with that basically, yeah.
0: Yeah, great. What's it been like since to grow your business with such a niche product like a Ladyfinger Banana and since you've also diversified into some new varieties of mandarins as well? So what's that journey looked like?
2: It's been a, it's been an exciting journey. To, to grow the Ladyfinger Plantation to where we've got it now, it has been really exciting to see us expand and grow a great product, basically. Yeah, it has been a journey. There has been ups and downs, as there always is with farming. There's always really good days and really bad days and days where you just want to go, let's put the farm on the market. And then days that you really, really love your job. But luckily for us, those days that we really love our job outweigh the ones that you want to put the farm on the market. So, um, yeah, it's been good. The mandarines, being able to grow a new variety of mandarines has been very exciting. So, that project has been about four years in the making. So, we got an opportunity through our agent, Freshmax, to, they approached us and said, hey, would you like to plant something else? And we're always up for doing something different. So, we said, yeah, we'll be in that. Let's have a look. So four years it took us to actually get them in the ground. There was lots of field trips to Mildura and Gainder and Mundubra and lots of planning, lots of cash flows, lots of, you know, background work into to is this going to work for us? How much money is it going to cost us to do and stuff like that? So, yeah, four years later, they're in the ground and we should be getting our first crop off in March next year, March, April next year.
0: Yeah, wow. That's exciting. That's really cool. And, you know, for me, if I go into a supermarket, why would I buy a ladyfinger over a Cavendish or the type of mandarins that you will now be growing over, you know, the imperial, for example? What's the difference? (laughs)
2: So, ladyfingers are a sweeter variety of banana. They're a shorter banana, but the sugar in them is amazing. So, I look at a ladyfinger and and it's probably twice as sweet as a Cavendish. So, Uh, you've got a lot more sugar in there, which is always better than... (laughs) 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 I think. The good thing with ladyfinger bananas is they're a lot sweeter. They basically... You can put them in a fruit salad and they won't go brown. They're really good in smoothies because they don't get that brown sort of texture that the the Cavendish do after a while. So, yeah, I grow them so they're better.
0: You've converted me. I'm a big fan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they are, yeah, you are a cav or a ladyfinger sort of person who eats those sorts of things. But, yeah, it's, they are nice.
0: I'm sold. I'm converted.
2: Yeah. With the mandarins, we are actually growing a newer variety of a seedless mandarin called a tangled. So it is a, it's basically the perfect mandarin, I think. It's small lunchbox size. It's got a beautiful orange color. It's the color is amazing. Obviously, there's no seeds. It's easy to peel and it's just, yeah. Eating a mandarin with no seeds is a bonus.
0: Well, I would hope that we've now converted all beyond the farm gate listeners to Ladyfingers and Tangolds. <laughs> yes. Because yes. they both are Lady... amazing.
2: Yeah, Ladyfingers and Tangolds. That's another way to go.
1: And Carly, do you get much opportunity to to market the Ladyfinger and the Tangold mandarins? Like, is there much control over that part of the business for you?
2: No, no. Most of the marketing is done via the supermarkets. The Ladyfinger market is quite small. It's only 3% of the Australian banana market. So, I would like to see a lot more marketing going to Ladyfingers and just a bit more education as to why they are so good. And no, with the Tangled, the Tangled is, I'm going to say, it's like a, it's under a PBR plant breeder, right? So, basically, we grow the trees, we grow the fruit and it's marketed via the marketing agent's
1: getting back to the farm and thinking a bit more around the the changes that you've made you've worked pretty hard on on building something that's quite sustainable can you tell us how sustainability has come apart a big part of what you do?
2: Basically we've built the farm and we want to continue building the farm in a way that it prospers and it grows and I think sometimes as farmers you can get stuck in ruts it's just sort of turns, you know, life goes on. and But for us, we like to see things grow and prosper and, and, and make more money and, and do new things so that we can basically pass this farm on to our children and see the next generation do what we're doing but maybe better. That's important for us. Our kids grew up on this farm and they love it and we love the lifestyle, so we would love to see them move into farming in some sort of of way, whether it's both of them together, whether it's one of them, who knows. But I would love that farm to be here when they get to that stage to make that decision.
1: When it comes to growing bananas, I know biosecurity is fairly important, especially when it comes to uh, Panama. Is that that something that you guys have to manage on a, a daily basis?
2: Yes. Yes, I would call it an hourly basis. It's, so in 2015, Panama disease broke out in the Tully region. So that's probably about two hours away from here. It put the industry into a big shock. It basically, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what we should be doing. And slowly over the years, there has been guidelines put out on what we should do. So farm biosecurity is big on banana farms up here. And it is an hourly, hourly basis sort of thing, making sure people are are doing the right thing, making sure they are sterilising their shoes on and off the farm, making sure equipment is cleaned after use. It is is a full-time job just educating people on what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing because Panama disease is a soil-borne disease. So if somebody comes onto our farm that's been onto another banana farm, they have the likelihood of transmitting Panama from farm to farm. So it is a big thing in the industry up here, and it's really important to keep our industry alive that the biosecurity is, is is top of the line for all all banana farmers, basically. Yeah.
1: And what does it actually do to the banana plant?
2: So Panama disease like I said, is a soil borne disease and it gets into the vascular system of, of the plant. So, basically, if you've got infected soil that comes onto your farm via water, dirt, that sort of thing, wildlife can bring it on, it'll get into the soil and it'll it'll uptake into the roots of the plant, basically. And I sort of, when I explain it to people, I sort of say it gets into their, their veins and it blocks their veins. Mm-hmm. So, mainly they can't uptake water and they can't uptake fertilizer so it's it basically wilts them and they rot so from there if you've got one infected tree it can pass through the roots to the next tree and infect that and it slowly like moves like a cancer throughout your farm oh, wow. so once you, you, you it's it's not something that banana growers ever want to have
0: and in addition to that There's obviously some other considerations at the moment, not so much in regards to biosecurity but in regards to labour with COVID. Has that impacted? Yeah. Okay. Yes. In a big way?
2: Yes, it has. Um, The availability of workers is getting very, very thin. Obviously, we don't have the working holiday visas coming into the country like they were last year. Most of the working holiday travelers that we have here have done their specified work they're three months on farm so they're ready to move and the seasonal workers from the islands are not coming in either so it has caused quite a labor shortage not just the banana industry but all industries across you know agriculture and horticulture at the moment so it is coming becoming quite tough for farmers out there trying to source the work. We are we are quite lucky. We have a good uh, crew of local guys that have been with us for a few years. So we scrape through with with what we got, and if we can't, there's always family members we pull on. <laughs> so I said, uh, like I said, don't ring me and tell me you're doing nothing because we'll get you working on the farm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I think so, that's yeah. It's it raises a, a really good point and a question that I am often quite curious of husbands and wives that work together on a farm and live together on a farm and when you're dealing with the day-to-day running but you're also dealing with pressures that come up like COVID at the end of the day how do you switch off and you know you're still on the farm how do you switch off and have time as a family?
2: Uh, We leave the farm basically. Yeah. There's no switching off ever. Even if you're sitting at the dinner table and you, you have a thought come into your head, it's a conversation that you'll have with your husband or, or your kids. I don't think you ever switch off when you live on farm. Mm. It's, it's really hard to do because something comes into your head and you go, oh, I'll just pop out to the office and do that. Or, you know, my husband will go, I've just forgot to do this. So for us, we try to maintain that when we're at home, we're at home. It doesn't ever work. So, we find our, our time, family time is on the weekends. We we do a lot of camping, a lot of skiing and just a lot of day trips and that's the really the way that we get out of our own headspace and go, all right, we've left the farm now. There's nothing we can do. Let's just go and have a day as a family. So, it is hard when you're raising kids to switch off, especially when there's a lot at stake, but our kids have grown up with it and they're quite tolerant of it. They're quite independent. So that's really good. But yeah, you've really got to make that family time, especially when you live and work together.
0: Sure.
1: Carly, you've been through a lot of change in a short space of time from a, a business point of view. So there's there's new varieties, there's the, uh, the biosecurity thing, the sustainability thing. And that's led to a, a nomination for farmer of the year. Could you tell us yes. how that feels to be nominated.
2: It's very overwhelming. It's lovely that someone has nominated us for that. I think when you're in your day-to-day running of your business, you basically just roll with the punches and do what you've got to do. And the fact that someone's recognised, you know, we work hard and we put a lot into our business and a lot of change has happened. It, it is very exciting.
1: Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about, that process like is there it's still ongoing now I, I understand that but is there has there been like a, a round of interviews or how does it work like who do you tell about your farm?
2: I don't know actually to tell you the truth we got nominated <laughs> and that's all I know. <laughs>
1: right so it goes, goes to a a panel of judges, or something like that.
2: Yes, yes, that's all I really um, I know at this stage. So, but yeah, it is. It is great to be recognised for the work we do, especially because we are quite a small farm. We we do what we can to produce every inch of this land and make every inch of this land work for us. So yeah, it is. It is nice to be nominated and be recognised for that, because sometimes you just. You know, it's your life. You just do it.
1: So that's very exciting. You should be very, very proud about that and proud about what you do.
2: Yes, we are. Yeah.
1: That leads me into my next question is where to from here for Carly and Dino?
2: We will just continue to expand our ladyfinger plantation. We have got some plans to plant a a little bit more and just continue to work with the mandarins and learn how to grow those and troubleshoot those and. Because every time you plant something new, there's always hiccups and stuff like that. But, yeah, we just continue to want to grow our business and grow a great product and live life, have a good life. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) spend not so much time on the farm. A few more holidays.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Last question to wrap up and a question that we ask all our guests that come on Beyond the Farm Gate. When you're out on the farm, giving Dino a hand with whatever it is that he's come in and come up with on that day, what work boots do you wear?
2: I don't wear work boots. <laughs> I'm a thongs girl. <laughs> I wear thongs everywhere. <laughs> it is amazing what I can do in thongs.
0: Oh, you are hilarious. That's yeah. that's probably the best, one of the best answers we've yeah. had so far.
2: If, if I am made to wear boots, I, I have a pair of mongrel boots, but it's thongs for me they're so easy and convenient probably not the best workplace health and safety wise and I always get into trouble when I hurt my foot my husband goes well you will wear thongs everywhere but yeah if I'm in the paddock I'm in thongs if I'm in the packing shed I'm in thongs
0: <laughs> maybe we'll leave that out of the farm of the year application <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh that's
0: fantastic Yes. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Carly. It's been an absolute pleasure and we're very excited, as I'm sure you are, to hear the Farmer of the Year award results. We have all our fingers crossed for you.
2: Thank you. Yes, it's been great.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow.
1: If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now.
0: And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert.
1: And I'm Matt O. And we'll chat to you next time.